Lord Jesus, we thank you for your presence with us. God, we thank you for your, for your love. God, we thank you that, that, that you have called us, that you have empowered us, God, that you have gifted us, Lord Jesus, to be used by you to bring change to this world and lead people to you. And we just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would open up our hearts and our minds to hear from you, to be challenged by you, but most importantly, be transformed, Lord God, that we would leave this place with our lives different. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. There is a new idol in America, and this idol is different than some of the other ones that seem to come down minds first. When we think of idols, a lot of times we think of drugs or materialism or sex or, 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 or money or, or whatever it may be, but this idol is different. This idol has the ability to creep into a life or to creep into a family without much outward appearance. It could be in your family, it could be in your life without you even realizing it. Yet it's an idol so powerful, so persuasive that it can dominate your decisions and determine your destiny. In fact, people who succumb to this idol, they see their dreams discarded, their hearts shrunken, their faith diminished, and their growth stunted. In fact, the victims of this idol live shriveled lives and with shriveled souls. So what is this idol that we're talking about? It's the idol of safety. Americans have grown up obeying signs posted everywhere that say safety first. How many of you have ever seen a sign that says that? A pastor named Scott Dudley wrote this. He said, over the last 30 years, we have created the most risk-averse society in history. We're the most seat-belted, bike-helmeted, airbagged, knee-pad-wearing, private-schooled, gluten-freed, hand-sanitized, peanut-avoiding, sunscreen-slathering, hyper-insured, massively-medicated, password-protected, valet-parked, security-systemed, inoculated generation in history. And the only thing it's done to us is made us more afraid of everything. Right? How many of you guys remember driving without a seatbelt on? All right, now don't get me wrong. I'm not promoting that, all right? But I just remember when you could ride in the back of a truck as a kid, and it was all right. I remember roller skating without knee pads and helmets and bubble wrap and everything else. But, but the world has just taken us down this safety, safety, safety. And I get it to a degree. But if you look at TV, I challenge you, the next time you're watching TV, watch the commercials and ask yourself, how many of the commercials are fear-driven? I think you'll be surprised. From insurances to medical to checkups to, 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 to passwords to everything is just fear and fear and safety and safety and safety. Now, I'm not talking about taking risks for the sake of risk's sake. But I believe that this safety idol is destroying our faith. See, we start bowing down to this idol of safety. And see, most of us don't even think of it as an idol. 
Yet it can be so more, so more destructive than so many other things in our lives. When we start bowing down to this idol of safety, it can reroute us completely. It can put us on different paths. It can prevent us from accomplishing what God wants us to accomplish. See, for Christians, playing it safe will keep people from serving. Playing it safe will keep Christians from dreaming great dreams. Playing it safe will keep Christians from sharing their faith or or taking a stand. It'll keep Christians from tithing or giving sacrificially. It'll keep Christians from breaking habits or taking risks or building relationships or having adventures. Why? All for one reason. It might not be safe. If I dare to serve, it might take me out of my comfort zone. It might take me to a place where I'm afraid that I might get hurt or I might be uncomfortable. If I give too much, I'm afraid for my bank account. What happens if God doesn't show up? If I'm afraid to leave my comfort zone, I may never follow God overseas. I may never teach that class. I may never get involved in teaching kids or whatever the case may be. Playing it safe will reroute you as a Christian. And if you're not careful, you won't live the life that God has called you to live. One of my favorite pastors and leaders is is a guy named Francis Chan. Many of you know him and have heard of him. Uh, And at a conference, he was addressing this, this lifestyle of safety within the Christian culture, and he uses a balance beam as an illustration. And so rather than talking about it, I want to show it to you. As you get ready to watch this video, understand he's standing on a balance beam, the kind that you use in the Olympics and do all these amazing routines. So can we play that video and can we dim the lights? So much instability, so much that we don't understand, that we don't know. For me, growing up, it was a lot of you guys know my mom died giving birth to me. And my dad remarried. Then my stepmom died in a car accident when I was nine. Then my dad got married again. Then my dad died of cancer when I was 12. And so I'm in junior high. My mom's dead. My stepmom's dead. My dad's dead. The only close relatives I had were my, my aunt and uncle, George and Sandra. And then when I was in high school, they got in a fight. And my uncle George shot and killed my aunt. And then stuck the gun to his own head. Killed himself. So I'm 16 years old, and this is life to me, going, man, what's next? Everything seems to be falling apart, and we get a little worried. We get a little scared. And this is what Christians do. You know, they try to serve God, but then things get a little rocky, and things get a little unstable. And so we go, okay, that was nuts. I don't, I don't, want, to, I don't want to live like that. Let me, uh, let me hold on. And this is your routine. This is what so many people do. They go, you know what? I'm not going to try anything crazy. I'm just going to sit here and uh, I'm just going to hold on. And uh, this is what you look like. You just go, uh, this is what people do. You know what? I'm just going to have my nice little family. We're just going to, you know, we're just going to keep to ourselves. We're going to live in a gated community. I'm going to homeschool my kids, make them wear helmets everywhere. I'm going to... You know, I'm not going to let him outside because son has bad rays. I'm going to, you know, just on and on and on. And you just live your life in the safety of I don't want to do anything crazy for God. I just 
I just want to, you know, go to church on Sundays and maybe give like 2% um, and uh, maybe serve help the nursery because I feel guilty. And then you do this your whole life. And then you, you go, your greatest prayer is like, God, you know what? I would love to die in my sleep and not even feel it and then just go up to heaven. And so you want to die like this. Just in your sleep, ooh, right in the middle of a dream, good dream, the dream you're going to heaven and you don't even feel it. And then suddenly you wake up, you stand before the judge and you go. Now, if, uh, could you imagine, could you imagine watching the Olympics, you know? And some girl does that, just gets up there, starts straddling the thing, and then steps off and goes. <laughs> what is the judge supposed to do on the card? You see, and to me, I go, man, that's the routine that so many Christians are headed for. That's the routine, the boring, I do nothing crazy because I don't want to fall. I, that's the routine that they're going to live. And then one day it's going to be a shock because they're going to step off that balance beam and realize they're standing before the judge. They're standing before the judge. And you think he's going to look at that routine and go, wow, well done. Well done. You live the safest life possible. You didn't slip. You didn't fall. See, that's not the life that God's called us to. That's where the majority will head. But I don't want to go where the majority goes. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 through 5 says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. And I've, I've read that passage many, many times, and, and most of the time when I've read it, I've always thought, you know, that's talking about those who lose their life and, and give their lives to Christianity. It definitely means this, that, that I no longer live. I'm crucified with Christ, and I live for him, and my life is not my own. So it definitely means that I've always kind of left it there, but recently, just in even prepping this message, I began to see it through different eyes. While it means that, it's possible to live this as a Christian. It's possible to live this as a Christian where, where, where you, you, you want to serve God or you give your life to Christ, but you're so afraid of moving beyond the protections that we establish for ourselves. Sometimes, you know, we can build boundaries in our own lives. Like, you know what, I, I, my life has to look like this. I, I've got to have the security uh, of my job and the security of retirement and the security of medical insurance. And I have to have the security of a good school system. And I have to have the security of, of being in a good neighborhood and living in a certain place. And, and all of these things, we begin to build these walls around us of safety that actually build us into a cage. Well, desiring to serve God but not ever really be able to serve Him beyond the safety boundaries and measures that we erect in our lives. And I think, man, you can live as a Christian that way. I love God. I'm going to serve Him within the safety of the walls that I create around my life. 
When I think of it that way, it says, man, for whoever tries to save their life, you can try and save your life and protect your life by building those boundaries. He says, whoever tries to save their life will actually lose their life. And and I'm not talking about losing it and going to hell. You may go to heaven, but you will go to heaven having never truly lived and having lost the life that God, that you were born to live. But those who will say, God, I trust you in the midst of this, and I'm not going to put these boundaries up, and I will dare to surrender those safeties and those boundaries. Man, it's those people who will find real life and really begin to live. I think one of my, one of my greatest fears, and it's been something that's just been hounding me lately, just over and over again, you can ask, Lori, one of my worst fears is existing as a Christian without really living. Getting into the routine of being a Christian, the routine of, of, of wherever it may be, so you can get to a level, whatever that level is, and I'm not trying to put it on a, on a this is a higher level, whatever, but that level where you get comfortable, it's your new comfort zone. And you stay there, and you can't camp out. And maybe at one time in your life, that was, a, that was a faith walk to get there, but now it's a safety zone and you're existing again. That's my greatest fear for Selwyn, for this guy, is that somehow I'll get stuck in the safety. And as I get older and I start thinking about different things, I think it becomes more challenging, but I'm afraid of being stuck, of beginning to live some form of safe Christianity. I've... I've haven't done all things, and, and there are a lot of people who have done a whole lot more than me, but in my life, I've done a few exciting things. I've parachuted multiple times out of many different aircraft, from airplanes to helicopters. I've fast-roped in the, in the pitch darkness of night. I've rappelled out of helicopters and, 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 and down cliffs. I've bungee-jumped, and none of that's been living. None of that has been living. None of that has been thrilling for me. In those, it may have been fun at the time or scary at the time, But the time that I have felt the most alive in my life was not those times. The times where I felt the most alive in my life have been the times when I was least in control. There have been times filled with uncertainty. There have been times paved with real risk. There have been times I've woken up at night honestly terrified, going, oh God, and crying out to God. And they've always been in the areas that God has led me, not that I've led myself. And it's those times that I can look back and I can look at them as challenging times and scary times and times of growth in my life. But I look back at them and times as being, man, I felt alive in those times. Paul Turnier wrote this. He says, all of us have vast reservoirs that are full of potential. But the roads that lead to those reservoirs are guarded by the dragon of fear. And when when God knits you together, he envisions your future, he envisions your path, he envisions your plan, and, and you weren't thrown together haphazardly, man. You were intricately made, you were formed, and when he formed you, even go back to high school art 
class or whatever, a wood shop where you were looking at blueprints and building something. When you built it, you built it, most of you, you built it for a purpose. There was a reason why you were painting that picture or building that shelf or whatever it may be. You envisioned what its purpose was for. Well, when God knit you together years ago in your mother's womb, he knit you together with a skill set and ability because he had an end picture in mind and he put all of these things in you and he said, man, I'm building this person and then I'm going to let them be born in a certain place and live in these areas and in those areas i have purpose and i have a mission and i have a plan for them and he says man with their skill set i've given them these areas that man if they will move according to their skill set and if they will move empowered by me it'll be amazing what they'll get done so when the holy spirit spoke to us earlier at communion this is what he said right if you remember he says, man, I've given you the power. I've given you this. The Holy Spirit gave you my sermon, and I never talked to lead about that. This is what God is saying to you. Man, he has knit you together. He has, he has built you for this time and for this purpose. And what can destroy that? And what can reroute you is this idol of safety that we begin to build up. We will only go to that wall, but we won't go beyond it. God can use me greatly within the walls of my security and the walls of my comfort, within the walls of my zone. But man, I don't know if I can go beyond that. I want to tell you, if you live a Christian life that is led by the idol of safety, it will limit your impact. You will never have the impact that you are meant to have and that you were born for. Jesus said this in John chapter 14, verse 12. He said, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. That belief word is an action word. It's not just up here. It's a belief that says, man, if I believe it's raining outside and I walk out and it's, I believe it's storming and I walk out with un, uh, without an umbrella, I don't know that I truly believe it was raining. When you truly believe something, it changes how you, how you respond. It dictates what you do. And if you really believe in Jesus, you really follow after him, he says, you will do what I did and you will do greater things than what I have done. That excites me. I want to see that. Do you? See, if we let safety rule our lives, we will never see that. Why? Because Jesus leads us to unsafe places. He just does. We will never see that happen because we will never truly be following Christ. Jesus beckons us out of our safety, out of our comfort zones, out of our areas where we feel most at home. He beckoned Peter out of the boat. Jesus himself went to the cross. How many of these places were safe? Jesus told Peter to get out of the boat in the middle of a storm. I think sometimes we get in our minds, we go, you know what? If the water was calm, it would be more believable that he walked on water, right? But Jesus didn't calm the storm. He got to him, get out of the boat in the midst of the storm. What kind of courage does it take to have to climb out of a boat? You have to really believe that you're going to step on solid ground when you get out of that boat. 
Jesus calls us into places that aren't safe. And so we will never do what he did if we aren't following him. Because if we aren't following him, we won't be living like him. And if we're not living like him, we won't do what he did. And we certainly won't do things greater than he did. Playing it safe will limit your impact. It's going to limit my impact. Playing it safe will lead you and me down the road of stagnation to unrealized potential and unfulfilled dreams. Playing it safe doesn't just limit your impact. Playing it safe is going to shrink your faith. Try to find a passage, any passage, I challenge you, any passage in Scripture where God calls someone to something safe. Anywhere in the Bible, see if you can find it, and I tell you, you won't, because it's not there. What you will find is Abraham leaving the familiar, completely following God by faith, not even knowing where he's going. You're going to find Moses going back to Egypt, to Pharaoh, where he was wanted for murder. You'll find Esther putting her life in danger to persuade the king. You'll find David taking on a giant Joshua crossing a raging river, Peter getting out of a boat, and Jesus going to the cross. Tell me, which one of those are safe? Which one of those, if you've got these walls of safety built around your life, which one of those would you be on? Which one would I be on? See, authentic faith is developed only when we respond to the call of God and take a risk. It's because when we take a risk, We learn something about God. I want to be clear on this. I'm not talking about taking risks for the the sake of taking risks. I'm talking about a dream that God places in your mind, a calling that he puts in your soul, in your heart, that is dangerous, that it's scary, but you know it's God-led. And going after that, see, when when you go after God and you take those risks in the midst of the uncertainty, in the midst of the fear or the terror, We learn more about who God is. We learn that God can do what we can't do on our own. If you never take that risk, if you always are playing it safe, you will never have the opportunity to learn what God can do. Especially when you're faced with what you can't do. Playing it safe limits your impact. Playing it safe shrinks your faith. And playing it safe, it stunts your growth. If you play it safe, you will never see the miraculous. I wish that that you could pass these tests and, and once you pass one, like you've got it done and you're good, you pass the test. But for me, at least in my life, and and I'm sure you've experienced the same, is that the tests get bigger. Every time, they don't get smaller, they get bigger. And, and for me, uh, you know, it's been scary, but I've dared to trust God. This is not a Pat Selwyn on the back message. Um, I've dared to trust God. And the first time I was doing that, it, it, it was started with my own life, and, and it was scary, but it was just me, that if I was wrong, it affected me. And then I saw God do some amazing things. And then he called me to do something with my family. And now it's a little bit different level. Now I'm, I'm, I'm more afraid because I'm going, you know, I, I really can't afford to be wrong because if I get this wrong, it doesn't just impact me, it impacts my wife and it impacts my children. 
But at least with my wife, we, we pray together, we move in unity. And so it was a joint decision where we did things. But my kids, they were just part of the family. They didn't have a voice in this. And so when we went to the, to the remote jungles in this island in Vanuatu, it, it was scary. It was overwhelming. And I saw God, we saw God come through in amazing ways. And I watched and noticed that I grew in the midst of that. And so I was encouraged. I was like, man, what God has done in the midst of this. And I, I've told you tons of stories before, and I'm not going to bore you with them now, but I don't think I'd bore you, but but we saw God do some amazing things. And then God said, all right, I want you to come back and lead this church. And that was more terrifying to me than going to the jungles because this is not what I wanted to do. And then I thought, man, I, I'm, now it's not just me. It's not just my family. Now I'm responsible for leading a church. And then God called us to do some crazy things here and, and start giving away money and blessing ministries. And, and, and in my mind, I thought, well, when I start doing this, it's just going to go well. God's just going to start blessing. And, and, and we watched over the course of two years as God let the bank account get lower and lower and lower. And we basically drained the money, giving it to other ministries. And I got to a point where one business meeting, I was like, God, I'm going to be, go down as the pastor that's destroyed this church. Nobody wants that title. And Lori said to me, don't worry, so, and they all voted with you. And I was like, yeah, but I still am like lead. Like I still carry that responsibility. I still am overwhelmed. And I, and I thought to myself, it worried me and worried me. And the, ch- the church wasn't doing this. You guys weren't doing this to me. This was me and my battle with God. Then I watched God just turn around and start putting it right back into the church. He took me to this place where it was scary. And for me in my life, it's been a different level from individual to family and then to leading a church. But what God did in this church is he did something where the whole church said, wow, look what God has done. I remember the very next month after that business meeting, I think $40,000 came in that month. It was amazing what he did. And he turned things around. The story I really want to tell you is a time, one of the trips we were in Haiti, and uh, like I said, I, I wish that once you, 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 you conquered the faith the first time or you got it right, that you wouldn't have to be tested every time, but that's not the case. I remember this time after we had done seen God do amazing things in the island, I was in Haiti with a team, and we were due to go to this remote village. It was about seven hours away from Port-au-Prince. And uh, what we had to do was drive about an hour and a half up this river to get to this village and, uh, and this was one of the plans. This is why we were going there to drop off some pl- supplies and say some, how to some kids we were sponsoring and, and just build a relationship. But there was a problem. There was a tropical storm that was blowing in, a massive tropical storm that was coming towards the island. And, and I, I'll be honest, I was afraid. Some of you guys that were there were with me and, and shared some things with me. And we were afraid and we just started praying. Went to Pastor Martin as we said, okay, what are we going to do? He said, you know what, let's just pray. And we'll make the decision in the morning. Now I'm thinking, man, if I kill this team, this was the first missions trip that this church had done in a long time. I thought if I end up killing the first team that goes on missions, that's going to destroy missions for this church, right? But that's where my mind was going. And I was thinking, man, if they die, I want to die with them because I want to come back and say, hey, I'm sorry about your husband, you know? But we made a decision. We thought God was in it and, you know... Sorry about your wife. Sorry about your parents. I mean, that's how real it was for me in the midst of that. And so, and so I was terrified. I remember talking to a couple of people and just praying it over. Anyway, the next morning we get up and, and, and the storm was still coming. We talked to Pastor Martinez and we agreed, yes, we need to go. And so for seven hours with my heart in my mouth, praying like I've never prayed before. I prayed in tongues the entire seven hours over the mountain 
we go over the mountain, we drive up the riverbed, we get to this, to this uh, village and, and we give out the things we're giving out, but then this little boy named Ruji comes up and he's hobbling and he's got this badly infected foot. And Rachel, um, one of the team leaders, is, is a nurse and she was able to treat his foot and give him what he desperately needed. I don't know what would have happened if we hadn't been there. And so we just felt like God sent us seven hours to this remote village to doctor this kid's foot. So we're, we're there in, in, in this remote village, and we're there for about two hours, and we're, this village is on the side of a mountain, and I remember I'm looking up, and I'm just watching the clouds just flying in, right? Trees begin to double over as the wind's coming in, and I'm thinking, we got seven hours, and we still have to get down this riverbed. Now, you've got to understand, this riverbed can turn from a dry riverbed into a raging river quickly. This riverbed has been known to wipe out villages and wipe out crops and wipe, it can get destroyed and it's wide. And I'm thinking, man, this could happen very, very, very quickly. And so we're praying, we get in the truck and we start heading out an hour and a half down the riverbed. And then all of a sudden we come to a dead standstill in the riverbed because there's a road that we have to take to get out of the riverbed just for a short time, only to get back in it. And there's a truck that's broken down on that road, and no one can get by it. And so now we're parked in this riverbed for an hour and a half or two hours. At the time, we didn't even know, and we're sitting there going, oh, and I'm watching the clouds, and I'm thinking, man, how much time do we have? To make a long story short, that storm never hit. We actually have a picture on a computer of the most amazing sunset ever as we came over the top of the mountain after we got out of the riverbed. When we got back to Port-au-Prince, what we found out was somehow the storm broke up before it hit Haiti, reformed on the other side and hit Florida. That's what God does. That's what God does. I want to tell you what that does for your spirit, as, 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 what that did for me, what that did for the team when we realized, man, God literally broke up the storm, reformed. When does it ever happen? Reformed on the other side. We got hit by the storm in Florida, but not in Haiti on the way back. That builds you. When you see that, you go, wow, that's the God I serve. What would have happened if we said, you know what? The safe thing would be to stay in Port-au-Prince. We can do good ministry here. We can help people here. Let's just not go out there. Then we would come back saying, you know what? We were defeated by a storm because we didn't dare to trust God. What we came back with was God sent us all the way to a village to treat the foot of one little boy, and he broke up a storm and kept it from hitting us because we dared to trust him. And we came back. Now that's something that will build you. Playing it safe will stunt your growth. If you dare to trust God, you will have impact. It will build your faith and you will grow. You know, I think sometimes we get into this mentality where we think somehow if I can just play it safe enough, sometimes I can cocoon my life and protect myself from, from all these things. Let me tell you, my dad told me this years and years ago, and it stuck in my head, and, and he told me this when I was in the Army, and he said, you know what, someone? He said, you don't have to be afraid because God's got you. If you're doing your job, you won't go down, you won't die until your time is up, and when your time is up, it doesn't matter if you're hiding under your bed or jumping out of a plane, it doesn't matter. Your time is up. That is true for all of us. That doesn't mean we go out there and do stupid things and test that. That means when we live according to what God tells us to do, we trust him. He holds your beginning and he holds your end. 
all right? But sometimes we think if we can play it safe enough, sometimes we can wrap ourselves up in a cocoon. There are the most freak accidents that happen. Many of you probably know this, just to mention one of them. In 1919, right here in Boston, there was a giant vat of molasses that exploded and killed 21 people. Do you know that? Some of you know that. No one goes to work in the morning thinking they're going to get killed by molasses. I'm not making light of it, but that's crazy, right? Let me tell you something. God has your life. You honor him with your life, and you can't go wrong. You try and protect it. Your time's up. Your time's up. Man, if you try and save your life, you're going to lose your life in the process. You might exist, but you're not going to live. But if you lose your life for him and for what he has for you, you might not have all the other safety measures set up, but you will live and live life to the fullest. When Christians play it safe, they stop serving because it might not be safe. They stop tithing because giving might not be safe for their bank accounts. They stop sharing because it might not be safe. It might be embarrassing or they might lose their job. They stop risking. They stop asking God what he wants them to do. The result is they slowly develop an apathetic, boring, safe kind of faith. But on the other hand, when you take God at his word and you dare to follow him into a God-led risk, and you see God come through for you, then he becomes real to you in a way like he never has before. And that begins to fire up your heart. You begin to believe that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You begin to actually believe and walk and live according to a God that is bigger than you, that controls everything. And when you begin to live at that, that life and walk in that, let me tell you, something begins to happen. And he takes your skill set, which is nothing without him, and then he empowers you. And then you see things happen that you can't even believe are possible. Not through your power, but through his. They walked out in your life. In the movie Risen, it's a fictitious story, but what I like about this is it really kind of captures this, this, the way so many people find Christ, where they find Christ first, they, come in, they, they, they encounter Christ at the cross. And as they first hear about this God who died for them and rose again, it's from there that they pick up the Scripture and they begin to read back into the Gospels and see how he lived and, and they encounter his miracles and they take this kind of, this, this, they have this view on the outside, almost like a spectator watching. But at some point... After you read and, and God begins to move in your heart, something grabs you and you can't be a spectator anymore. When he grabs you, it's like he beckons you to come out of the safety of where you're living and to walk towards me, beckons you out of the boat and it's a wrestle. What I love about this movie is, is in, in this moment, the centurion who is convinced, this, this, this guard who is convinced that the disciples stole Jesus, he launches this big investigation, and then he comes face to face with Jesus in, 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 in investigating. He's walking with the disciples, and he comes to this point that so many people search and come to, where they go, wait a second, I've seen too much just to be a spectator. And he, gets, he, he leaves the safety of his employment 
He was an ambitious soldier. He had the world ahead of him, and he walks away from that to follow Christ, not even knowing exactly what he's walking after, just convinced that, man, this is a man that I want to follow. I have seen too much. At some point in our Christianity, God is going to beckon us out of the safety, out of the seats, out of our cushiony areas, out of the compounds that we've built and the fences we've built around our lives and tell us, get out of the boat and come towards me. And it's not going to be safe, and it's probably going to be terrifying. But what happens if you don't get out of the boat? What happens if you don't leave those walls? See, I don't want to think about that a whole lot. What I want to think about is what happens if you do. And what happens if you embrace the life that Christ has for you? What happens if you dare to trust him? I want to, I want to close this message down just with a glimpse for a second at Moses' life. I think Moses illustrates this so well. Here's Moses, and, and God formed him, and God, and God placed him, and God raised him up. And, and then what happened with Moses is, is, is Moses tried to do God's work, but do it in his own way. He ended up killing a soldier in Egypt. And because of that, his life was over. He was now a, a criminal. He was a fugitive. He had to run away from Egypt. And, and he was now ha- hiding in the wilderness as a, a wanted man, a runaway murderer, an escaped felon, if you will. A has-been. For all purposes, it looked like his life was over. Forty years, he'd hang out in the wilderness watching sheep. This is a man who was well-educated. This was a prince of Egypt. And it looked like he had destroyed his life. It looked like his life was over day after day for 40 years watching sheep. How depressing would that be? It's a lot of time to think, isn't it? So one day, I'm sure Moses is sitting out there thinking he's washed up. He's a has-been. He's blown all that he could have had. And then Moses sees God in a burning bush. And he hears the call of God And his first response is very similar to what most of our responses are. I'm going to play it safe. God, I can't do that. I can't go back to Egypt. I can't go back to Pharaoh. God, don't you know that I don't even speak well? And he starts coming up with all of these reasons and excuses and trying to tell God no, and God checks them at every single point. Finally, Moses gives in and says yes. See, think about this. Here's Moses living a life that I'm sure he doesn't really like. Living a life that I'm sure that he felt that, man, he was meant for more than this. Then God gives him this opportunity for more, and his first response is, there's safety in my misery. There's safety where I am. I don't like where I am, but at least I know where I am. And he almost misses what God has for him. He almost trades it in to stay in the wilderness. But the best moments of Moses' life hadn't even begun. Here he is thinking he's washed up. Here he is thinking his life is over. 
reliving things over and over again, I'm sure, in his mind. But finally, when he runs out of excuses, when he quits saying no, finally, when he quits playing it safe and he takes a risky step in going back to Egypt where he's wanted for murder, look what happened. See, Moses' life didn't begin until this point. So what happens is this. God used him before Pharaoh like he never thought possible. Two million people were freed from hundreds of years of slavery. He watched the Red Sea part and two million people escape on dry land. He received the Ten Commandments. He wrote the first five books of the Bible. He experienced the miracles of manna and water from a rock and so much more. Moses didn't start living until he said yes. He is a washed-up man who probably thought his life was over. Maybe he thought he was too old. Maybe he thought he'd gone too far. And the minute he said yes, that's when life started. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me What will God do in your life? What is God about to do in your life? What happens in your life if you let those walls of safety just come down? What happens? See what the enemy wants? Maybe he can't rob you of your salvation, but he can keep you bound up and secure and from reaching out. Man, he can just keep you contained and you will never, never live the life that Christ has for you. Man, I don't know about you, but I don't want to spend my life wrapped around a balance beam, praying for a safe death in my dreams while I'm sleeping. Man, I I want to run this race. I want to live this. Man, God has built you for this I don't care what the world says about you. You may be as weird or as different, but then God made you weird. And God made you different. And God made me weird so that we can reach other weird people. Praise God. It doesn't matter. Right? You are uniquely made, and you are beautiful, and God formed you, and God's got a purpose, and the enemy wants to destroy you and keep you bound. And God says, man, if you'll quit believing him, and you'll quit trying to protect your life and protect yourself from everything, if you would dare to trust me, I will take you beyond what you can ever dream possible. And I will use you, and I will take your skill sets, and you, empowered by my Spirit, will do amazing things for me. What happens if you dare to dream? What happens if you start dreaming big dreams? What happens if you start responding to the things that God is calling you to that terrify you? What happens when Jesus says, I want you to step out of the boat and come to me, and you want the storm to calm down, the waves to settle. You want somehow desperately to become safe, and God's going to say, no, it's not going to become safe. Step out in the waves, and it's in the waves that you will see my power. It's the waves that you will see my glory as he stands in the depths of the oceans. Man, that's what God has for you. That's what God has for his church. And if we start living that way, what happens? My greatest fear is existing as a Christian instead of living as one. What about you? You stand to your feet this morning and if our prayer team would come up and make themselves available, 
as you stand, would you just bow your head? Because I just want you to just, just spend some time with God and begin to ask Him some questions and, and just simply ask Him this, where is it in my life that I've been trying to play it too safe? Can, can, can we ask God to reveal those areas to you that, 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 that are, are chaining you in and tying you in that you can't seem to go beyond. What are the dreams that God has given you that you've pushed aside or you're waiting for the storm to come or the waves to get smaller? What are the areas that God wants to use you? What are you doing with the gifts? I can't tell you how many times I, I see these secular artists who God has gifted and, and, and blessed, and, and so many of them, unfortunately, are using their gifts to glorify themselves or glorify other things that don't edify God. And I think about it and I go, man, I just can't imagine what would happen if they surrendered their gifting and their singing and their vocals to God and started glorifying Him, what He could do with them, because that's why they were given those things. Everything in your life was given to you to glorify Him. With your heads bowed, would you just begin to ask God to reveal those areas to you that you're holding back in? And as He begins to identify those areas, pray that He will replace fear with courage. I want to tell you something. That fear is not really going to go away. You don't wait for the fear to go away. See, what faith is, is moving despite the fear. You don't need faith to go somewhere where you're not afraid to go. God wants to use you. The Holy Spirit confirmed this message before I even spoke it. This is from Him. He's empowered you. He's died for you. Your life is not over. If you're in this place and you're thinking, man, I'm too old. It's a missed opportunity. I want to tell you, I think the story of Moses is in here for you. If you are still breathing, your time is not yet done. Don't believe the lies of the enemy. Some of you may think you're too young. It was a 13-year-old boy moving to beings to God that launched this church. And from my understanding, it was this same boy that launched this church that led the man to the Lord, that led Billy Graham to the Lord. At 13 years old, he wasn't too young, and neither are you. And you're not too old, and you're not too washed up, and you're not too broken, and you haven't sinned too much that God can't use you. Don't believe the enemy over God's word. Open scripture and see who he uses. Man, he used David, who was an adulterer. Moses, who was a murderer. Man, he uses prostitutes. He uses everyone. All you have to do is surrender and step out of that safety and allow him to take you and, and just dare to trust him. He took a bunch of fishermen and he took the world with a bunch of fishermen. Man, he can take Quincy with us. He can take Weymouth, he can take the South Shore. And he said, I've empowered you and I'm sending you out. Why are you holding back? And you're holding back because you believe in the words of the enemy over the God who created you and formed you and has empowered you. Man, he has got so much for you. And he's called you to live. He said, man, the enemy comes to destroy and the enemy comes to bind and the enemy comes to destroy you. But I have come that you might live and live life to the fullest. Let those walls come down. 
Let the courage flow out. And it's going to be scary. And it's going to be amazing. And God will use you. And Scripture says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind can conceive what God has in store for you who love him. Oh, Jesus, we come before you. God, we just pray and ask in the name of Jesus that you would forgive us for the idol of safety that has been leading us and guiding our lives. God, we pray that you would break down every wall and every barrier, Lord Jesus. God, we don't want to just exist as Christians. God, we want to live as Christians. God, we want to live life to the fullest. God, we just lay our lives before you. And God, yes, we're afraid. And yes, we don't know how it's possible. And yes, we can't imagine you using someone like me. But God, if you will use me, God, I give you my life. Would you empower me, God? Would you give me the courage to go where you want me to go, to live the kind of life, Lord, you want me to live, to speak to that person you want me to speak to, to serve in that ministry, to go overseas, God, whatever it is, God, I give my life to you. Empower me, God, that I might live a victorious life, not defined by safety, but defined by your miraculous love and your leadership and your power, Lord God that your kingdom would be built in my life, your name would be honored in my life, Lord God. God, glorify your name and build your kingdom through me. Help me with my fear. Help me to look not at the waves, Lord God, not at the impossible, God, but look to the God who spoke and formed everything I can see. In Jesus' name, amen.